right, good morning. Good morning. Still doing a good job on that. And Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Uh, this is holiday that, that many people all around the world celebrate. We do not celebrate it as a religious holiday or as the, the birth of Christ. We don't know exactly when that was, but uh, but we are thankful that, that people concentrate on Jesus uh, at this and any time uh, of year, and hopefully it will spark and encourage conversations and, and people to, particularly at the end of the year, Think about and assess their their life and whether they are righteous, whether they have a right standing with God. Uh, and at the end of the year, kind of assess themselves and see uh, if they need to do better or if they need to to take action uh, to get right with God. It is also the last Lord's Day of 2022. Uh, next Lord's Day will be the first, uh, and we will welcome in the new year. It's a time of reflection and certainly a time where many people have, uh, they think about New Year's resolutions, right? Going to lose that weight finally or whatever it may be. And then a couple weeks from now, you'll find that you still have that weight, maybe even a couple more pounds if you are like me and ate a lot of uh, Christmas dinner yesterday and leftovers today. I want to tell you uh, from my family, from, from me and my family, how much White Oak has meant to us, that you gave us this opportunity, uh, gave me this opportunity to come and speak to you so often and to be here. Uh, hopefully we have encouraged you and helped build you up, but I know for a fact that you all have, have built me up uh, and my family, uh, Christy and Katie and Junior over here, Griffin. We, we very much look forward to coming here every every single Sunday. We, we look forward to being here with you. We are encouraged by you. You are such a friendly congregation. Uh, and you have really helped build us up and encourage us. Uh, it's not always that way. Sometimes working for the church like I have uh, in a few days, it'll be 20 years that I've been at House to House. Occasionally, uh, even in the church, you run into to people or situations that are difficult to deal with. And sometimes that can be discouraging. That's not the case here. You guys have, have all built us up and encouraged us, and, and it's just been such a delight uh, to be here. And we look forward to being with you uh, in the future as I can, can fill in uh, here and there. But I did want to say that we very much want to thank you. Uh, and then also, uh, you know, you think about doors closing. That's why my lesson, I've been thinking about this lesson for a while. We think about doors closing and doors opening in the metaphorical sense. I feel like a chapter in our life is kind of closing here with us going on, even though we will be here January 15th to fill in uh, for Austin as he's leaving. But this is an important congregation. It's important that you all be here for this community. Uh, You are the best chance that this community has to, to learn the gospel. And to, to be saved. And so we very much want to encourage you, help build you up. And I know that uh, as that door closes for us and, and we're moving on to some other things, even though we will be here some, uh, this door is opening up for you with Austin. I want you to encourage Austin and be there the same as you have been for us, uh, for Brother Austin. He is a great evangelist. He is really good at doing Bible studies. And I know uh, that he will 
uh, encourage all of you and help build you up and, and help you uh, get into Bible studies and convert people uh, and grow the church. But I want to talk today about doors, uh, particularly uh, open doors and closed doors, and in particular when God opens and closes doors. And I want to start back in Genesis, Genesis chapter 6. Last week I talked about Jonah, and we talked about how that's kind of, you know, we think of it as a children's story. Well, today I'm going to start with Noah's Ark. And we're going to think about that, uh, which oftentimes we, we use as a children's story. Uh, but certainly there are many applications that could be made uh, to, to us in our lives as adults. And it is a very important story in the Bible. And you will remember at the beginning of chapter 6 in Genesis, God has decided that he's going to destroy the earth. He looks out. And the thoughts of mankind are wicked all the time. That mankind is just thinking wicked thoughts and doing wicked things. And God has had it. He is going to destroy the earth. But in verse 8, it says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So God has decided to destroy the earth, but he looks out and Noah is a righteous man. He and his family And God is going to extend grace to Noah. And then you look through verse 13. It says, And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. God tells Noah, I'm going to destroy the earth. And I'm sure that Noah, when he first heard that, was very concerned. Because it affected him directly, right? And then God gives him, starting in verse 14, instructions about it. I'm going to destroy the earth with water. I want you to build an ark. I want it to be this size. I want it to be made this way. I want you to, to coat it with pitch. I want it to be exactly like I tell you to do it. And in verse 22, it says, Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. Noah did all the things that God told him to do. And then in chapter 7, God gives him more instructions concerning the animals and and what he's to do with that. And we get down to verse 5 of chapter 7. And Noah did according to all the Lord commanded him. He's continuing to do that. And then it kind of covers it, what's going to happen. And it briefly explains it, but then it goes into more detail. And in verse 16, after... Noah has done all the things that God asked him to do. What happens in verse 16? It says, And then he went in, went in male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. God closed the door of the ark. I want to think about that for just a little bit. So Noah did all of these things, everything that God had asked him to do. He prepared the ark. He built it just like God had said coated it with pitch. He's gathered all the animals. He's done everything that God told him to do. And then he goes into the ark and God shuts the door. Hmm. So Noah, by faith, had done all of those things. God extended grace to him and he had prepared all these things as God said, but God sealed them in. And I thought about this 
You know, uh, I had to hire a, a plumber the other day. My hot water tank was messed up. And I have learned in doing house repair that there are many things that I can do and do adequately. I don't know if I'd say I do them well, but I do them adequately. But one of those things that I do not do well is plumbing. I don't do it because every time I do it, I mess something up and I end up having to hire somebody to, to fix it and it's worse than when, when I did it originally, right? I think there's something to be said here for God sealing the door. That's the most important part. If you're gonna want a waterproof craft, right, you're gonna want that door sealed really well. So there's, there's an aspect to this that God is doing that for safety, right? But Noah could have opened the door back up and gone out. He does later, after the rains, after the flood. He could have opened up a window and gotten out that way. He does open the window later. So Noah has the choice to stay inside the ark. And I think, too, as they go into the ark, after all that faith of building the ark and doing all that God had told them, and now the time has come that God is going to destroy the world, and they go into the ark. You think about Noah and his family. They knew people. They probably had other family. They certainly had probably friends that were going to be outside the ark, right? But they go in, and I wonder how long it was that they stood there before God sealed the door. It doesn't say, right? But it would be interesting to know whether or not they had to stand there a long time and wait for God to seal the door, or whether as soon as they got in and they looked out on the world as it was, God went ahead and sealed the door. But either way, that's what happens. And God shut the door. And when he did so, as I said, there's safety in there. They are now safe. You can be assured that the door is shut correctly. It's not going to leak. There's shelter in there from the rains and from the flood and everything that's about to take place. And there's also security, which is different, at least in the the way that I want to refer to it today. There's a security in the sense that every time you see one of these movies or stories where they're going to destroy, the world's going to be destroyed. Well, what do they do? They usually build an ark. They borrow from the Noah story and... They, they fill it up with everything that you're going to need to survive, but also everything that's going to need to propagate the earth again. There's security there. God puts everything in the ark that's needed to repropagate the earth. We're going to be able to rebuild from this. And they were sealed into the ark. So there's safety, shelter, and security for the future in there, inside the ark, inside the single door that allowed them in there. And once God had sealed it, I'd imagine while Noah could have opened it to let people in or opened it to go back out and for something he forgot, I don't know that he could have sealed it again, right? When God shut that door, 
and he sealed them in, and there was security and safety inside and shelter. What did that also do? Well, that sealed everybody else out. I imagine those who had been listening to Noah preach for 120 years while he's building the ark. You know, I think Peter really, really likes the Noah story because in, in 1 Peter, he talks about it in 1 Peter 3. And in 2 Peter uh, 2 and verse 5, he talks about it as well. While he was building the ark, he's also a preacher of righteousness. He's preaching the gospel, the good news, that God is providing grace and there's going to be safety and security and shelter inside the ark. That God's going to send a flood and it's going to destroy the earth, but there's grace and safety inside the ark. He preaches this message for 120 years and converts no one, only his family, eight people saved inside the ark. And I wonder, after Noah went inside the ark and God sealed the door, and you get in chapter 7, Genesis 7, verse 11, you get this sense this is a very violent action that's about to take place. The waters of the deep are going to burst forth and the rains are going to come down. This is not a normal flood by any means. This is something that has never happened before. In fact, it's possible that it's never even rained before this time possible. We don't know. We don't know what the earth was like exactly before the flood. This is going to change everything. But I imagine the people that Noah had been preaching to all of this time, telling them there's going to be a flood while he's building a boat, and they're making fun of him, they're dismissing him, they're putting things off, they're going on about their lives. How long After the floodwaters start, does it take them to realize that they were wrong? Do you think as soon as the floodwaters are bursting forth and the rain starts pouring down and they know this is no normal occurrence, do you think as soon as it starts raining, they think, maybe Noah was right. I need to go to the ark. But it's too late. They're sealed inside. And you're sealed outside, right? And then, maybe for some, they're like, well, it'll pass. It's not that bad. And and then the water gets up to their ankles pretty quick. And, well, maybe we do need to head to the ark. It gets up to their knees, right? Before long, they're swimming to the ark, right? doesn't go well for them. So when God shut the door... It sealed others out, and there was no second chance. I want to keep that in mind as we go on through the lesson. I want you to keep that in mind. And I want to talk about a second door, a door that God opened. As we look at the temple and the way it was constructed, there's these layers to the temple, right? You get to the holy place. Uh, as, as you get closer, you get closer and closer to God, to the most holy place. And in the holy place, you have the lampstand, you have the table of showbread, you have the altar of incense. And every day there were sacrifices that were made and, and the fire for the incense and the incense and the those who trimmed the candlesticks and those who made the bread for the showbread. There are all these actions that the priests would take twice a day as they would go into 
the holy place. But then there's the holy of holies, the most holy place, where at one time the Ark of the Covenant was. And that is separated by a veil, by a big curtain, if you will. And inside there was where the Ark was and where at one time the Ark was. And the mercy seat was there. And it was where the high priest would go once a year and enter into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle the blood from the sacrifice onto the mercy seat on the Day of Atonement, once a year. And the high priest, in order to do that, had to go through a whole bunch of actions to purify himself, to rid himself of of sin, so that he could enter in in a, a purified state and make atonement for the people. It was such a, a serious thing that they actually practiced all the actions of it because they didn't want to get it wrong because if you got it wrong, you would die. And they put little bells on the bottom of his garments so that they could hear him moving around in there and they tied a rope to him in case when he went in and he wasn't pure enough if he had carried sin into the Holy of Holies and God killed him for it they would be able to drag the body out without having to go in themselves and defile that place. That's how serious the Holy of Holies was. That's how holy this place was. It is the most holy place in Judaism. And there was a veil that was there that separated God's people from God because of sin. And in Matthew 27 and verse 51, something remarkable happens. At the death of Christ, in chapter Matthew 27 and verse 51, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent, was torn in two from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake and the rocks rent. There were other signs as well. Don't miss the point here. God tore the veil from the top to the bottom that separated the people from Him, from the Holy of Holies, from the mercy seat, from the place of atonement. Why was that? It was because the barrier between God and man had been torn down by Christ. And our high priest, Jesus, went into the real Holy of Holies in heaven. And he sprinkled the real, pure blood of the Lamb on the mercy seat for our sins. And he is a perfect high priest. God tore that barrier down. It is something that we could never do. He removed that barrier from us and opened the door to come into his presence. So God shuts doors and God is able to open doors. Let's talk about the most important door. Let's look at John chapter 10. John chapter 10 and beginning in verse 1. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. 
To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and he leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of the strangers. The parable spoke this parable Jesus this parable spoke Jesus unto them, but they understood not the things that they were which he spake unto them. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life. And they might have it more abundantly. There's this beautiful illustration that Jesus gives here of a sheepfold. Now, we still find these today, and they still make use of them. Shepherds today still make use of sheepfolds. But they would build in a circle or sometimes a square the stone wall, and there would be one entry point to get into the stone wall. And the shepherd would lead his sheep into the sheepfold and they were not able to get out, to escape, to, to be in harm's way. And it would be very rare that something would be able to get in and lift the sheep over it and, and steal the sheep. They could only go in and out through the door. And the shepherd himself would then lay down at the door. That's where he would sleep. So no sheep are going to get out while he's watching over the flock. And no animal or robber is going to get in while he is the door. And that's the illustration that Christ is giving here. He's saying, look, God's put my sheep into the sheepfold and I am the door. I am laying down my life for them. Anything tries to attack the sheep, I'm going to be there for them. When I have to lead them out into the world to get food and water, I'll be leading them through the door and I'll be leading them back in. But I am the door. It's a beautiful, deep illustration that Jesus is using as a metaphor to show us exactly what it's like to be saved in the church with him. Some people say, I don't need to go to church. I don't need, you know, I'm saved and I I don't really need the church. The church is the the sheepfold. We're with our brothers and sisters. We're there to build each other up, to help each other. As Christ leads us out into the world, we're there to protect each other and help each other, encourage each other out in the world as we come back. As he leads us to pasture and to still waters like Psalm 23 talks about. And God adds us into that sheepfold. Jesus protects us while we're in there. He leads us out and he, he gives us water and food. We go out into the world to evangelize, but we're not of the world anymore. We're of Christ. We're in the sheepfold of God and we're protected by the great shepherd, the good shepherd, Jesus. In John 14... And verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No man cometh to the Father but my me. There's no way to get into the sheepfold, to be saved, to be in the church, except through Christ. We studied in our Bible class this morning, Romans chapter 6, talking about you know, verses 1 through 6, especially talking about being baptized into his death so that we can be buried with him. The old man is done away with and that we can be part of the resurrection. So we have resurrection and a newness of life. We're dead to that old man of sin and we're coming back into the man of life as a resurrected being. But you have to enter in through Christ. There is no other way. Look at Luke 13. And starting in verse 23. Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. When once the master of the house is risen up and has shut to the door, has hath shut to the door, and ye begin to stand without and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us, and he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence ye are. Then shall ye begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence. And thou hast taught in our streets, but he shall say, I tell you, I know you not when she are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrust out. He says in this parable, it's going to be like it was in the ark. Once that door is shut, That's all there is. There's no second chance, right? Just as in the days of Noah, it's the same. Look at Matthew 25. And beginning in verse 1. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves." And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. This is the conclusion of the lesson. This is the idea here, is that right now the door is open for all of us. Right now the opportunity to be saved, to be in the sheepfold of God, is open for us. If there's something in your life 
that's keeping you from obeying the gospel, from doing what's right. On this, the last Lord's Day of the year, let me encourage you to make it right, right now, today. Don't go into the new year lost. Let me encourage you to say, the longer you put that off, first, the more risk there is. But you will never grow to your full potential to as far as you would have gotten unless you do it right now, right? Look just before this in Matthew 24, uh, verse 37 through 39. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Until that day, Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. There's going to be a day when the door is shut. And none of us knows when that is. We will be just acting normal when that happens. Some people will be getting married. Some people will be feasting. Some people will be sleeping. But there is a day that the door will be shut. It's open right now. But there will be a day when it's shut. For you, for me, that can come in any number of ways. One, the obvious, right? Death. If we die in a car wreck, in a, in a heart attack, whatever it is, that door is shut. There is no second chance. That's We've had all the time that God gave us to do what God said to do. There are other ways. Sometimes we don't think about them as much, like being incapacitated in some way. What if you have a stroke? What if you get Alzheimer's? What if there's some sort of injury and, and you're no longer able to make that decision and to obey the gospel? The door has been shut. What about circumstances? I've heard of, of people who were in the hospital and wanted to obey the gospel and they're hooked up to all the machines and it's just very, I've actually witnessed a, a, a very difficult baptism where they had to bring in a portable baptistry into the room and unhook the man from the machines and baptize him. And then he died the next day. But sometimes circumstances make it so that you can't obey the gospel. I've also heard of prisoners. You know, you don't have as many rights when you're in prison. That's why they read you your rights, because you have a new set of rights when you're arrested. And I've heard of prisoners who learn the truth, the gospel, but they are unable to obey it because there is no way for them to get baptized because the prison will not allow it. They just don't have that right. And they have to wait until arrangements can either be made or they get out of prison to be able to obey the gospel. There are are things that can happen, circumstances that can happen that can prevent you from being able to obey the gospel. And then, of course... The Lord may come back at any time. We don't know when that will be, but that's what's talked about here. Don't close out this year without being right with God, without being inside the ark, without being in the church and being saved. Don't close out this year without being right with God.
Let me encourage you now to come forward, make it right as we stand uh, and as we sing.